0: Hey everyone, welcome to Strong Reception with Eli James, a brand new podcast that's going to cover a whole host of subjects of interest to me, Eli James, and hopefully to you too. So thanks so much for joining me. I've got a great interview for you today. This week, I got to talk to local New York activist Sandy Nurse, who co-founded Mayday Space, an organizing and outreach center in the great North Brooklyn neighborhood of Bushwick. Bushwick also happens to be where I live and vote and sometimes cry into my pillow because I'm going insane from never leaving. But Sandy Nurse recently ran for city council in this district in a Democratic primary race and in a special election that both got canceled, believe it or not, after a series of questionable tactics from the Brooklyn Democratic Party, the New York City Board of Elections, from Andrew Cuomo, our governor, and from a panel of state Supreme Court justices. In running for city council, Sandy Nurse had actually picked up several powerful endorsements, including those from Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, City Controller Scott Stringer and the Working Families Party a highly influential left-leaning third party in New York. I just wrote an article all about this for my blog, Voting in the Dark, which you can read at votinginthedark.com. The title is How a New York City Council District Was Handed an Unelected Leader. In the article, I break down step-by-step what happened in that city council race. It's pretty crazy, even by New York City standards, where the bar for voter suppression and election strong-arm tactics is already pretty high. The actions taken during that race resulted in the people of this district, one of the poorest council districts in New York City, being left with no representation in city council, none, for all of 2020. It also resulted in the party-picked candidate, Dharma Diaz, running unopposed, and therefore all but assured to win the office in November without getting a single primary vote. I talked to Sandy Nurse about what happened in this race and about how these crucial election decisions made during the height of New York's COVID crisis affected not just her, but also the electorate, the people of Council District 37, and our democracy in general. We dove into how important it is to trust our elected leaders during a time of acute crisis and how incidents like the ones we saw during this race undermine that trust and keep so many people away from the ballot box. Okay, let's take a listen to my interview with Sandy Nurse. Today I'm talking with Sandy Nurse, a Bushwick-based activist and entrepreneur, and she is one of the co-founders of Mayday Space, an organizing center and event space for grassroots movements. She's also the founder and co-director of BK Rot, a bike-powered compost collection service that serves the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Bushwick and Bed-Stuy. And recently, she ran for city council here in the 37th Council District, which includes parts of the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Bushwick, Brownsville, East New York, and Cypress Hills. Uh, Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) So if you don't mind, I want to focus first on the city council race, um, because you and three other potential candidates... Were eventually disqualified from the ballot after volunteers from the party-backed candidate's camp, a woman named Dharma Diaz, they mm-hmm. mounted a petition challenge. At the same time that COVID nineteen was at the height of its outbreak and panic in New York, so you you eventually wound up uh, getting removed from the ballot. Can you talk about what happened there from your perspective?
1: Yeah, of course. So I mean, petition challenging is uh, a very common tactic used by, um, establishment politicians all across the country to get people off ballots, um, particularly challengers, particularly insurgent, progressive challengers off the ballot, uh, in this, so it's, it's, it's pretty egregious in most situations, um, as there are so many obstacles to first-time candidates running so many, um, so many details that are really really um something you need to have to have a, a lot of expertise on and in this context of a global pandemic where um people are dying in mass we don't really know how everything is exactly spreading um people have lost their jobs people are in deep panic it was a very um, um deeply disappointing uh, and, and pretty disgusting display of power grabbing. So, in mm. our context, we were, and it's important to for your um, audience to understand that this the city council seat of the district 37 was vacated by a sitting a establishment candidate Rafael Espinal, who mm-hmm. left for a, um, a a very well-paying private sector job. Uh, That created a, when someone resigns, it creates a, 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 the mayor has to call for a special election.
0: Right. And just to um, clarify, uh, he left to become the executive director of uh, the Freelancers Union, correct?
1: Right, right, right. And so when a special election is called, uh, candidates have like 10 days or 12 days to petition to get on the ballot. Um, so we did that very successfully. We ran, uh, we had almost 100 volunteers. We collected 1,500 signatures in a, like a week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we successfully got on the special election ballot. The special election fills the seat for the, the rest of the year. So it would have filled the seat for 2020. Um, right. And that was scheduled for April 28th, uh, which was at the time, the same day as the pre- Democratic presidential primary mm-hmm. in New York. Um, so we did that successfully. We were feeling great. We, we had a general objection filed against us, which means that they were generally objecting to our petitions and that they had time to go in and like nitpick on our stuff to see if we had the full amount. Uh, well and done, we made it. Um, through that process, um, two other candidates, three candidates got kicked off and only three of us remained on the special election ballot. That was Dharma Diaz, Ms. Dean and myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So we immediately pivoted to voter persuasion um, and also petitioning for the primary on June 23rd. Um, And so when we started, we were doing both persuasion and petitioning. So it means every door we knock on, we're asking for them to sign the the petition and also uh, asking them to come out to vote for April 28th um mm-hmm. so we were having a back to back election um in a very short amount of time yeah. uh so right uh, in the in the smack in the middle of starting to petition covid-19 hit new york really hard um yep and the essentially what happened was a, a panic by many people so the governor had issued an executive order that essentially stated all candidates running for office um, would need to stop petitioning about two weeks earlier. Normally, we have a month to petition.
0: Right. Uh, I believe petitioning opened, if I'm not mistaken, February 25th. Normally, you would have had till April 2nd to right, right, get on the ballot right. for the June 23rd primary. Right. Uh, and then the governor in April.
1: March. It was March 17th or something like that.
0: He said, "Okay, um, we can't have candidates going door to door, going around the neighborhood, going up to people to get petition signatures, because that's still how we have to do it is face to face. There's a pandemic going on. Uh, It's really scary. So we're going to shorten the canvassing window by about two weeks and also at the same time reduce the number of signatures you need to get because that window is so short. Right.
1: So because they cut the the time, they need they needed to reduce the burden of signatures. Um and the governor set that at 30%. So for us, that was actually really great because a lot of our volunteers were getting scared. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we would go out and petition and people really were very fearful of what was happening. People you know, people would sign, but a lot of people were, you know, we'd go to a grocery store hang out around there and people are, you know, there was a time of panic buying of toilet paper. <laughs>
0: and Absolutely. Also yeah. at
1: that time we were not told to wear masks. So we were wearing gloves and we were spraying our pens and things like that, but we were all just out here without any masks. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that was, when I think back on that, I, you know, I think I'm so thankful that none of us got sick. Um hmm so the the city council charter uh, the city charter says city council candidates are required to get a minimum of 450 signatures and those signatures have to be by people who live in the district or registered for the democratic party um and their addresses check out everything right Mm -hmm. it's a very very stringent process um So we were like, this is great. 30% of 450 signatures is about 135, 136 signatures. Um, Mm -hmm. We had that. And we still went out one more day and got an additional like uh, 50 or something just to, just to, for good measure on the last day of petitioning. And so we felt really confident. We submitted.
0: Now, this is just for the. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, This is just for the primary, right? This is totally separate petition from the special election.
1: It's separate from the um, special. Uh, And you know, what it wasn't really clear if the special was even going to happen at that time. So we were just like, we need to get these petitions in. We're waiting for guidance from the BOE, from the state on how this pandemic is going to impact democratic processes. So we handed our um, petitions. And the BOE, you know, we just check in and the BOE is saying, oh, um, you need, your requirement was actually needed to be um, based on state law. And state law, for those of you who don't know, state law and the city charter um, have two different signature requirements for city council candidates.
0: It's very confusing because the executive order that the governor issued in March saying we're reducing the number of petition signatures you need to get by 70 percent, the state law says that New York City, it it specifies New York City in that law saying uh, New York City's minimum for city council race is 900 signatures. But my understanding was that that law is just outdated. It's wrong. Because the city, New York City, updated its charter in 2013, I believe, right. to reduce that number to 450. But it seems like no one updated the state law.
1: Right. It seems like a thing that was left on a to-do list that someone didn't do. Right. Um, and so for 10 years, there's never been a there's never been a situation that exposed this, and here and, and here it was.
0: Right. Um, right. But it's interesting that the decision made by the Board of Elections on April 22nd, in which uh, you and the other challengers to Dharma Diaz, which is um, Kimberly Council, Ms. Dean and uh, Rick, Rick Echevarria. Echevarria, mm-hmm. Echevarria, excuse me, um, the Board of Elections in making that decision, they seem to hold to no, the 30% executive order that Governor Cuomo issued doesn't apply here. You have to get 450 signatures.
1: Right. So in a weird twist, they're saying, yeah, the reduction doesn't, the the percentage reduction does not actually apply to this particular race. And you would have to get the full amount, of the full minimum amount, which is the 450. Um, Which was a a very a whole other approach to this race, uh, a whole other interpretation. Um, How did
0: they justify that?
1: I I mean, essentially, what in in a very basic summary is that the governor's executive order did not apply to this race. So even though we were bound by the the time reduction, um, and socially also bound by it, so even the last day it was out, I was terrified that somebody was going to take a photo of me petitioning and put it on social media as like um, trying to be an opportunist when I was, you know, I, it just felt like a very socially um, uh, awkward time of how do you meet these deadlines? How do you do these things in the middle of a pandemic? What is the moral and and ethical thing to be doing? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you put this about people's you put this democratic process above people's health. Like this was the, these were the daily conversations we were having is like, is it okay to go out today and petition? Are we endangering people's lives? Um, And we were because we weren't wearing masks. We were endangering people's lives unknowingly. There was a lot of debate happening about how the coronavirus was being transmitted um, and what were the protectionary um, measures people could be doing. And also how to protect yourself and other people. So this was a a very chaotic time. It was only a couple months ago. It feels like it was 10 years ago.
0: Mm, Um, Yeah.
1: And so essentially what the BOE has ruled, uh, ruled in the first round was that, Hey, like this, this executive order, um, did not even apply to you. You needed to provide the 450, and you had to do it within the shortened amount of time. Um, now, none of this would have happened if the um county uh backed candidate did not challenge us so again, remember the petition challenging is a tactic used to get people off the ballot. It's essentially used to shake off the tree and uh had we all did work, we all went out there uh, petitioning in the middle of covid many of us our volunteers were freaked out um and so we all did the work and people signed in the middle of this pandemic to have us be on the ballot. So mm-hmm. the 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 argument that we put to them was like let's just all move forward. Why spend the time uh kicking people off in the middle of this pandemic? We can't fight back against it very um as easily as we could in other circumstances. Um We didn't, you know, we didn't have as much time. So there's a lot of reasons why uh, in this particular public health crisis, it was it was extra, extra disgusting to use this tactic. Hmm. So, again, none of this would have we would have all moved forward had the challenge not happened. The challenge happened. So now we have. So now we're kicked off the ballot because the BOE rules that we're not. We none of us qualify except for Dharma Diaz.
0: Okay, so a uh, quick aside here, just to say that uh, at the time of this race, Dharma Diaz was seen by many as the, quote, machine candidate because her candidacy seemed to be the result of some old-school political backscratching. She was already the assembly district leader for this area and sat on the Brooklyn Democratic Party's 44-member executive committee. This small body elects the leader of the Brooklyn Democratic Party and the newly elected leader, a woman named Rodney Bishat, decided to appoint Dharma Diaz to run for this city council seat. Rodney Bishat went ahead and, and handpicked Dharma Diaz to run for the city council seat. And I, I didn't actually get to speak uh, with Dharma Diaz, but we did email. And um, she's careful not to say it was her filing these petition challenges. She says it's her supporters. And specifically, it's two women named Alexandra Alvarado and Ariana Zapata. They were both campaign volunteers with Dharma Diaz's campaign. And one of them, uh, Ariana Zapata, was also on the um, county committee for the Brooklyn Democratic Party. Yeah. And so they filed the the general objections.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, semantics are important. <laughs> Techn- technicalities are important. Technically, she did not file. Um, the objection technically her her neighbor one of them is her neighbor oh, like okay. filed it. Um, so not- the other thing to consider is and this is how power plays out is Eric Delon, who's the state assembly member for the 54th is also the male district leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so the amount of power these folks had to, um, you know where they sat in the in relationship to the Brooklyn Democratic Party is a part of that. So handpicking is, is a very, um, very accurate word. Um, and once that was decided, it was all forces brought to bear, right? Right. Um, and that includes the campaign supporters. So the BOE, uh, like I said, they ruled we were off. So everybody was off but Dharma. Um, we were all clearly outraged by the interpretation of the BOE. It, uh, it seemed to be an unreasonable interpretation given the context that we are we were um operating in an unprecedented level of um worry um unknowns and potential uh, you know death the the mass amounts of death that were happening daily mm-hmm. uh information unfolding the we took it to we challenged this we took it to the new york state supreme court mm-hmm. we had a judge rule that in fact um The BOE's interpretation was actually absurd. It is unreasonable to imagine that the governor specifically did not want to include this race. Um, And so everybody got back on the ballot, except for me. I did not get back on the ballot because my lawyer checked the wrong box on a paperwork saying that he so he mailed papers to our challengers so you have mm-hmm. to you have to mail stuff to our challengers he mailed by certified mail but he checked a box saying he delivered in person Ooh. so this is
0: i didn't know uh, that detail i knew that that is sort of that's
1: a, the that's the reason i didn't get back on that's okay. the only reason i didn't get back on it wasn't because we didn't have the number of signatures It's because when the lawyer checked a box he checked that we would deliver those papers in person, but he actually certified mailed them.
0: Okay, um, I knew and there was a delivery of, issue. There was some technicality over how it was delivered, but I didn't know it was uh, checking the wrong box on the form.
1: Yeah, so this is an absurd um, technicality. Obviously, we would not be delivering papers in person, and you know, in the middle of um, what I imagine is him, you know, worrying about his own family and the broader context of like, are we all going to be okay? Mm -hmm. He checked the wrong box. Um, And so this is, this is, uh, you know, I'm really glad that you're taking this time to allow people to understand exactly the, the level of, um, of ridiculousness that is in the process to even being someone who can get on a ballot. Right. Um. It's not set up to support people. It is set up to shake people off on purpose. Um. So even after I got off, the um, when and, no, before we all got off, before the New York Supreme Court ruled, the governor decided to cancel the special election. Yep. He just outright canceled it. When now there were three of us on that ballot. We were all fundraising from our accounts, because we have to set up new bank accounts for each. So you'd have to do a bank account for the special, a bank account for the primary, you have to have two separate committees, you can't spend from the thing. like the amount of rules around these two things is also absurd. So we were all on the ballot waiting for this decision from the Supreme Court, the governor cancels the special, which means the seat is completely vacant to the end of the year. So this district does not have any current representation. Right now, right. and won't be till January. Right, you know, essentially, we asked the mayor to enforce the city charter. The city charter is specifies it's the minimum four hundred and fifty signatures. That's the thing that the executive order should be um, specifically looking at. Right, thirty percent would-
0: of four hundred and fifty.
1: Right, and that would get us that would get the ballot back to um a democratic place of having choice and respecting the 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 conditions that were going on and the um very obvious situation that was um confusing coming from the governor uh at some point the mayor just stopped. Um, and would not enforce the city charter, which is crazy because the the mayor has been um, in battles with the governor his entire t- um, terms, uh, demanding that the city charter has it you know has its own strength. Um, I so- do, I
0: really think uh, there are so many. I mean, you, you mentioned technicalities earlier, and I think New York City election law is so full of these tiny technicalities that lead to giant. On misunderstandings and giant question marks. And on top of that, besides having a, a very scary pandemic that is terrifying everyone and killing lots of people and destroying businesses, you've got a mayor and a governor who clearly don't communicate well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they were fighting over schools closing arguably um, led to many, many deaths or hmm. closing the city led to many, many deaths. Their egos and their personal battle, their interpersonal bull crap, is what led to—I mean, arguably, what had led to many, many deaths, and um, in, in particularly in New York City. So, this kind of, this kind of political football, this kind of ego-driven politics, kills people. And um, you know, it's one of those situations where the vacuum of a crisis. The um, unfolding of a crisis, the, the, the feelings of a crisis and the uncertainty allows people to uh, move in ways that they couldn't uh, when people have some sort of stability to focus. So getting coverage on this unfolding <laughs> petition drama was very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can't see past COVID and potential loss of life. Um, right. Food insecurity, un- unprecedented job loss, uh, in- unemployment levels, people just trying to get on unemployment. Um, yeah. Like in the middle of all this, we are also doing food distributions twice a week um, to people in public housing, supporting groups that are supporting um, undocumented families.
0: This trying is to- out of Mayday space.
1: This is out of Mayday space. So our campaign was was phone banking, calling as many households as possible in the district to check in on people, see if they're okay. We're talking to people who, who lost loved ones. We're talking to people whose whose significant others have died in the home. There is, there was just like such an immense level of need and still is, but at that time, need and desperation, uh, just in the backdrop of this petition drama. Um, And so I think you know, people use crises as a ladder. People use crises as, a, as an opportunity to play games. And the mayor, and I think the mayor used this as an opportunity to um, get someone in or, you know, it was just an opportunity where if he didn't do anything, uh, things would play out that benefited him. And that in particular meant that, you know, Dharma Diaz being a Brooklyn Democratic Party uh, candidate and uh, elected official would have, would be a very strong supporter of the mayor's wife in her bid for Brooklyn Borough president. Um, I see. And so things could shake out for him if he did not act. Um, Right. And so the outcome of this is that we were off the ballot. We were still pushing for other people to. Got on the ballot. We were. It's, I was excited that Kim and both stayed on at least. And so, then the, so if I on. could
0: just ask real quick, it, it, after the you found out you had the paperwork error that ultimately disqualified you from getting reinstated on the ballot by the uh, state supreme court judge, um, you decided not to um, try to rectify that in some way, or was there no way to rectify that?
1: Well, well, it's a very fatal error. Apparently, it's a it's a big deal to. Yeah. Um, not do that properly. Um, we did try to look at some options, but, um, I mean, that was, it was a pretty fatal error.
0: That must've been a pretty painful moment.
1: Uh, you know, I had my little pity. Yeah. I had my pity party. It was awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's awful to, um, run a campaign and not make it because of a missed checkbox. It's, it's not a, it's not a humane um, way of looking at it. And I say humane in a way of like, it doesn't facilitate um, more people being a part of a process. Right. If those are the things that end their opportunities.
0: Right. Well, because I know our time is limited, I, I just want to, the last thing I wanted to sort of ask you about here was, um, so the the upshot of, of this whole drama is uh, the 37th council district, which is one of the, Poorest districts in New York. Very underserved. uh, Does not have a representative in City Council right now, and won't until after the November election, or possibly January. Yeah, um, when an unelected leader will assume the office. But for right now, there's and and since January, when Rafael Espinal stepped down, there has been no representative in City Council for this district. And um, you know, you had said um, that you the work you're doing is is trying sort of desperately to fill in some of those gaps. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So in lieu of having representation, um, essentially what has happened is the community has had to take care of the community and everyone's trying their best to do that. So um, on, on my end, what we've been working on is I partnered with, a couple of uh, groups, and we were able to set up very quickly, probably within a two-week period. A food distribution program that was serving <clears throat> in the district all of the public housing facility uh, um, campuses in District 37, as well as some outside of the district in in, in East New York, okay. and uh, we were able to give food to a a group called Bushwick Ayuda Mutua, which was a kind of a mutual aid uh, group that was supporting undocumented families and folks who could not get on public assistance because of their status. Uh, So we were able to provide at least a hundred kind of grocery bags of food each week to support their their operation, um, as well as uh, support them with space. We were phone banking um, throughout this petition drama to get, um, you know, to talk to households, see what they needed. We developed a COVID guide. We were sending that. Um, we were texting it to people so that they knew how to, you know, deal with housing resources, uh, or housing issues. How they uh, they had opportunities to understand rent like what's going on with rent and eviction moratorium mm-hmm. where they could get mental health support as many people we talked to were very traumatized by what was going on um we were connecting people to ch- like potential child care options which was very very tricky but there were a lot of folks that we talked to who were essential workers and needed to go to work and had very young children at home and didn't have options and you know we were essentially at the uh The peak of what we were doing, we were um, supporting 1,700 families in public housing, um, and and, uh, uh, probably like another 130 um, families that were um, private households that were in need. Um, In this entire operation, we heard one time from the staff, the Constituent Services staff at um, in the District 37 office about, oh, they had some, you know, access to some emergency funding and they want to support some food groups. We never heard back from them. we have not had a single um we had support from our council member on the other side in the 34th, Antonio Reynoso, mm-hmm. um, managed to get Food Bazaar to give us five thousand dollars worth of bulk food, which okay. we're still distributing. So that was that was the only time we had any city or a state level of support. Um in our operation so we have seen that um the city has not been able to meet the needs of people in this district uh, we didn't have a vote in the the budget uh the budget fight that went down right a few like a week ago or so i can't remember when now like the first week of the end of june so we are really suffering and there is a lot of need and there should be a full fully staffed constituent services of district 37 and in lieu of that we've essentially been trying our best to um, make ourselves available to people let folks know we're here uh, we can support in any way we can and yeah we're we're you know again just like our community is taking care of our community um we have not had strong representation um at the state level in this district. Mm. Um and we, you know, don't have any city level representation, so we're out here by ourselves.
0: Yeah, uh, well, yeah, when you when you say it like that, it's pretty darn scary. Uh it's true. Um so Corey Johnson, the uh speaker of the city council, uh who is supposedly overseeing the, the empty city council seat, um, he has not reached out. He has not responded. Has he said anything about how he is going to manage services for this district for the rest of the year?
1: Um, I haven't heard, but I also haven't, to, to be um, super, very transparent, I have not dug um, in as much. I mean, we heard from the staff that were there. Um, they reached out and said, Hey, we're, we're, um, calling all of the organizations, the groups that are doing food work. We, you know, we want to support, um, we, we did what they asked. We sent an email, we sent all our stuff, we sent our numbers, we never heard from them again. We followed up, didn't hear from them again. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know who received that funding. Um, any of the, all of the groups that I recommended, um, uh, didn't receive any phone calls back. So, um, It's not clear. We haven't seen any communications coming from that office. I haven't seen any newsletter, Um, uh, you know, I I might not be the best judge of that. My inbox is crazy, but I haven't seen any newsletter. I haven't seen any like communication to the people of this district. It's 160,000 New Yorkers. We don't have any answers about who's going to support us over this next year. In particular, who will be supporting us this fall? as like schools maybe reopen partially right. as this public health crisis um comes back around in an intense way um our district has um a majority population of black and brown folks, working class folks, cash poor folks and still no answers so um the the consequences of the games people played during the pandemic um, all including the governor and the canceling of the special election has has really is really leading to deep stress on people's lives, mm-hmm. um, but I do want to say that I am um, very hopeful and and incredibly moved and inspired and proud of how much people um, under stress and under pressure will mobilize to support each other. It's been incredible to see. So it's mm-hmm. it is dark days on the on the um in the broader sense, but I I'm I have a lot of um, uh, my heart feels really excited and happy and hopeful about what we can do if if we have to, um, and which it seems like we will have to. What we can pull off, and and so I'm really proud of everybody.
0: Anything else you want to throw out there before we uh, wrap up?
1: Um, I am officially running for the June 2021 um election cycle. So we will be launching okay. soon. We filed. We have all of our. Paperwork in a row for the city council race. So we, it looks like, um, and I'm actually excited by this. It looks like, um, everybody who ran will run again. And okay. it looks like we will have a real contest, an actual Democratic contest this, uh, coming June. And so I'm excited for that prospect. And I'm excited that hopefully we all get on the ballot and can like actually engage in a bigger debate here about what is needed and how we're going to move forward together. Um, so I'm excited about that.
0: Great, me too, because that's what we need. We need a real debate. Absolutely. Well, Sandy Nurse, I want to thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thanks so much for making time to talk about what you went through and, and, and highlighting some of the problems in our, in our area.
1: Thank you, Eli.
0: So that wraps up my interview with Sandy Nurse. Thanks for listening to Strong Reception with Eli James. And keep coming back. We're going to have some really, really fun episodes coming up, uh, some things that dive into... Not just voting uh, news, but uh, some music history and uh, stuff that I think you're really going to enjoy. So please come back, please subscribe, and please check out all of my articles about New York City voting at votinginthedark.com. There's a lot of information there that hopefully will help people get to the polls and fill out their absentee ballots and, and get our elected leaders to change the voting system we have.